Psalm 82, a psalm of Asaph. God standeth in the congregation of the mighty. He judgeth among the gods. How long will ye judge unjustly and accept the persons of the wicked? Selah. Defend the poor and fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and needy. Deliver the poor and needy. Rid them out of the hand of the wicked. They know not, neither will they understand. They walk on in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are out of course. I have said, Ye are gods, and all of you are children of the Most High. But ye shall die like men, and fall like one of the princes. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for thou shalt inherit all nations. Well, hello everyone. This is Kennard Brown. I'm your host for the Merciful Service of God Biblical Instructional Program. Today is September 4th, 2010. Please go to www.twitter.com forward slash Merciful Servant to follow my tweets. And visit my website at www.mercifulserviceofgod.com to read the articles I have written and, God willing, any articles I will write in the future. Now, I don't know if I've ever started a program like this, but uh, I think I need to since the title of this program is an interesting title, I think, anyway, uh, Should Ministers Charge for Their Teachings? Because we know that many ministers do in this country and worldwide do that. Now, does God approve of that? We're going to find that out here in this 90-minute program. Anyway, I want to state the fact that the purpose of my ministry, or service, that's what ministry means in Hebrew, service, is to preach the truth to as many people as possible, and also fellowship with those who love the truth. I'm not seeking any money from anyone. As you'll see today, I'm following the example of Yeshua, Jesus, also Paul, and the other apostles. God provides money through my direct marketing business. And after this Bible study today, hopefully you will see that the true purpose of a ministry is not to depend on people to support you and pay your living expenses and bills. Uh, you'll see a scripture in 1 Timothy chapter 6 plainly states that if a servant of God has food and clothes, he should be content. And... I have just realized something actually doing a Bible study for this. Um, I'm going to modify the article that I have tithes and offerings, should I have, that I will also use extra funds that I get uh, to pay my living expenses and bills. Uh, I, I realize that's the wrong approach. Uh, what I should do if I receive any extra money, even though I shouldn't because from this point on, I'm only going to accept food and clothes from anyone that wishes to give those things to me. I'm going to follow the example that Paul has in the Bible. Um, I should not be content if I don't have any food or clothes. Well, I have food and I have clothes right now. Should I get into a situation where I need those things, of course, I'll ask uh, my listeners and, and people that I know for that, as I have in the past. And I know my friend Nelson has helped me with um, any uh, food situation. Uh, that I uh, got myself into when, um, you know, true servants of God do struggle and they have issues and problems, as you'll see today as well. 
But anyway, I just wanted to point that out. Now, a serious money problem exists among the assemblies of God, or Hebrew name for God is Elohim. And Elohim is really cleaning up his assemblies to prepare us for the tough times ahead. And one of the major areas that he's cleaning up is our attitude about money and how ministers or servants of Elohim or God that our Torah teachers or ministers collect and receive it from their students. Now, I'm not going to do a very detailed program on the 501c3. That would be another program in itself, but you're going to need to do a little research. First of all, churches do not need a 501c3 designation to accept contributions, and that's what the IRS code states. And for you to prove that, go to the IRS website and download their PDF document that explains this. A 501c3 designation also encourages students to give so that they can get something back, which is a tax deduction. Uh, students of ministers or Torah teachers should be encouraged to give because it helps the Torah teacher and others, not because they will get something back. It is not Elohim's will to set up an assembly like a business corporation. Unfortunately, many ministers take advantage of their students' ignorance of this, and they get rich from their students' contributions, which is a, a direct violation of uh, what the Bible teaches about ministry. And plus, our, our Lord and Savior's example, as I'm going to show you in the Bible, shows that his ministry wasn't a uh, wasn't he didn't minister to, to get rich off of people. Anyway, First Timothy chapter six verse. Let's take a look at First Timothy chapter six verses nine to ten. It says here, but, uh, well, actually, let me go to verse 6, starting in verse 6, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we bought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, and that means clothes, not, not a shelter, but it means literally clothes. I looked it up in the original Hebrew. Clothing. Uh, let us be there with content. So God is telling us who claim to be ministers that if we have food and clothes, we should be content. We should be content. And those that aren't content, you're sinning. Verse 9, but they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all evil, which while some coveted after they have erred from the faith, and pierce themselves through with many sorrows. So if you are not content with just food and clothes, and I'm talking about clothes, not a house or a townhouse or whatever, God is telling any minister of God or anyone that thinks that he is that if you have food and clothes, you should be content. That's a very powerful scripture. And First First Peter. First Peter, chapter 5, beginning in verse 2. It states that, Feed the flock of God which is among you. And this is uh, a message to the elders. Taking the oversight not by constraint, but with... Uh, let me read this in a different uh, version here, for clarity's sake here. First Peter, chapter 2. Old King James English, and our English is <laughs> much different today. First. Uh, uh, Peter, chapter 5, rather, I'm sorry, starting at verse 1. 
and this is in the complete Jewish Bible version for clarity's sake. Therefore, I urge the congregation leaders among you as a fellow leader and witness to the Messiah's sufferings as well as a share in the glory to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is in your care, exercising oversight not of constraint but willingly as God wants and not out of desire for dishonest gain but with enthusiasm. Not as matures domineering over those in your care but as people who become examples to the flock. So that's that's the attitude a minister should have uh, in the um, Bible and basic English version. It states in, in verse 2, it says, Keep watch over the flock of God which is in your care, using your authority, not as forced to do so, but gladly and not for unclean profit, but with a ready mind. Not as lords over God's heritage, but making yourselves examples to the flock. And at the coming of the chief keeper of the sheep, you will be given the eternal crown of glory. So anyway, uh, let's look at another scripture here. In Revelation chapter 3, verse uh, 17, which is a prophecy of the churches of God, or assemblies of God today in their attitude. In verse 17, because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods. And there's many churches in this country right now that have 501c3 designation that are rich and increased with goods. Uh, the Roman Catholic Church, one of the richest churches in the world, right? And have need of nothing and know that thou art wretched, miserable, poor, and blind, and naked. He's saying that a majority of churches don't know that they really are poor spiritually. But they're, they're rich physically, though. Ezekiel chapter 34. Ezekiel chapter 34. Ezekiel chapter 34, starting in verse 2, states, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say unto them, Thus says the Lord God unto the shepherds, Woe be to the shepherds of Israel that do not feed themselves. Should not... No, I'm sorry. In verse, uh, yeah, verse 2. Woe or danger or great sorrow to the shepherds of Israel that do feed themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flocks? You eat the fat and you clothe with the wool. You kill them that are fed, but you feed not the flock. The disease, the disease, have you not strengthened? Neither have you healed that which was sick. This is the work of the ministry, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, many ministers should be healing people through uh, the instructions in James chapter 5. Uh, anointing, uh, praying, and anointing, laying your hand on someone and anointing them and asking that God heals Heals the individual. Neither have you bound up that which was broken. Neither have you bought again that which was driven away. Neither have you sought that which was lost. But with force and with cruelty you have ruled them. And they were scattered because there is no shepherd. And they became meat to all the beasts of the field when they were scattered. In this context, and meat can also mean false ministers or people that are um, teaching uh, deceitfully for their own gain, as Romans 16, verse 18 states, for their own belly. Uh, Romans chapter 16. Romans chapter 16. Now, we're gonna, what we're going to do is look at the example of Christ and how he ran his ministry, because he's the ultimate example, and then we're going to look at uh, some examples of Paul. In other words, to, to really understand what ministry or, or is all about, because I, I know most Americans, especially ministers, don't understand what ministry is all about and what religion is all about. Romans chapter 16, starting in verse 18. For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus, but their own belly, 
and by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. And that's going on as I'm speaking, unfortunately, ladies and gentlemen. Now, um, let's get into the example of uh, Jesus and, and what he did for his ministry. And I'm going to use a document. Uh, there's no copyright on this, so he wants to share this. Uh name of the document is How Do We Give to the Eternal by Richard Tafoya and Norman S. Edwards. It's a pretty good uh, article here, and I'm going to quote from some of the scriptures that he had um, quoted from here. It says, How Our Savior Supported His Ministry on page 2. says, how did our Savior fund his ministry? It was apparently not one of his major concerns, as there is no chapter-sized section of the Bible devoted to the subject. However, if we look at the many clues scattered throughout the Bible and read all of them together, a picture emerges. Uh, Matthew chapter 8, verse 20. Matthew 8, verse 20 states this, And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. So, obviously, he was constantly on the go. He was traveling a lot. And then Matthew chapter 12, verse 1. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and his disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. Uh, Luke chapter 8, verses 2 to 3, states this. And I'm going to turn to this, too, because I want to look up some original words here. Uh, I didn't have the time to do that before in the program, and I'll do it while I'm speaking to you here. Uh, Luke 8, verses 2 to 3, Mary called Magdalene, out of whom had come seven demons, and that's another story <laughs> in itself. And Joanna, the wife of Shuza, Harold Stewart, and Susanna, and many others who provided for him from their substance. So uh, Jesus accepted uh, aid from the people that uh, followed him, which means that's okay for any minister of God to do. Uh, Luke chapter 8, verses 2 to 3. And the substance, that means um, goods, possessions. Okay, that's what that means. There are also women looking on, a, from a, again, in Mark chapter 15, verses 40 to 41. Mark 15, verse 40 to 41. There are also women looking on from afar, among whom were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, Aless, and Joseph, the Salome, who also followed him and ministered to him when he was in Galilee, and many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. And then you have in Luke 19, verse 2 to 5, Now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, or Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. And he sought to, to see who Jesus was, but could not because of the crowd, for he was short of stature. So he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must stay at your house. And it's in Luke chapter 19, verses 2 to 5. Again, obviously, Yeshua was traveling a lot, and he didn't have anywhere to lay his head. And then in John 6, verses 7 to 12, Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them, may have a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they among so many? Then Jesus said, Make the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place. 
So the men sat down in number about 5,000, and Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples, and the disciples to those sitting down, and likewise of the fish, as much as they wanted. So when they were filled, he said to his disciples, Gather up the fragments that remain, so that nothing is lost. John chapter 6, verse 7 to 12. Then Mark 14, verses 4 to 5. Uh, if you need to listen to this again and jot down the scriptures, please do so. Mark 14, verses 4 to 5. But some were there who said to one another in anger, Why was the ointment wasted in this way? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and the money given to the poor. And they scolded her. Uh, so hopefully we're getting a clear picture here. Um, Mary took a pound. Oh, this is in uh, John chapter 12, verses 3 to 8. Mary took a pound of costly perfume made of pure nard, anointed Jesus' feet, and wiped them with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume, but Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, the one who was about to betray him, said, Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and the money given to the poor? He said this not because he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief. He kept a common purse. So Yeshua had a common purse, and it was used to obviously give uh, donations to the poor. And that's what a real ministry should do. We should look uh, to give any anything we get from somebody. We should try to uh, give that to the poor, or we should give that to the poor, as Jesus did. Jesus said, leave her alone. She bought it so that she might keep it for the day of my burial. You always have the poor with you. You always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. And many people interpret this as saying, hey, uh, we should forget the poor. Now, what he was saying is that you always have the poor. You have plenty of opportunity to help the poor, but, you know, you're not going to always have me around you. That's, that's the point he was trying to make. John 12, verses 3 to 8. Well, that's the point he was making. I'm sorry. <laughs> he makes better points than me. Anyway, John 13, verse 29, uh, it says, Some thought that because Judas had the common purse, Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the festival, or that he should give something to the poor. All right, and uh, one of the festivals, uh, the Festival of Trump is a cult. You supposed to have saved up at least 10% of your net income uh, so that you could enjoy the feast and, and, and share your, your blessings with the poor at the feast and, and with the uh, Torah teachers. Anyway, Luke chapter 10, verses 1 to 4 and 7 to 8. And after these things, the Lord appointed 70 others and sent them two by two before his face into every city and place where he himself was about to go. Then he said to them, The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way, behold, I send you out as lambs among wolves. Carry neither money bag, knapsack, or sandals. And greet no one along the road, and remain in the same house, eating and drinking such things as they give. For the laborer is worthy of his wages. In other translations it says food. Do not go from house to house. Whatever city you enter and they receive you, eat such things as are set before you. So the emphasis, again, is on food, 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 and things that you need to survive. And in John 4, verse 8, For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Again, the emphasis is on food again. Uh, Matthew 17, verse 23, Nevertheless, that we don't offend them, go to the sea, cast in a hook, and take the fish that comes up first. And when you have opened his mouth, you will find a piece of money. Take that and give it to them for me and you. As Matthew 17, verse 23, obviously Christ didn't have a, 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 he didn't have a whole lot of money like a lot of ministers do. All right, so on page three of this, uh, from these verses we can draw some simple conclusions. Number one, our Savior's ministry was a low-budget operation. 
So if our Savior's ministry was a low-budget operation, and if he is our example, as John 14, verse 6, and 1 John 2, verse 6 says, we ought to walk in his footsteps, and his other uh, examples in the Bible that tells us that we need to follow his example, then a true Torah teacher or minister's ministry should also be a low-budget operation. So number one, our Savior's ministry was a low-budget operation. Only basic foods are mentioned, not fancy dishes. They sometimes slept outside. They even carefully saved the leftovers from the large quantity of food miraculously produced. Apparently, they had no more than 200 denarii to buy food for the crowd. They were, di- they were, distri- dis- they were disturbed, rather. They were disturbed when 300 denarii worth of ointment was wasted on our Savior. Verse, not verse 2, but number 2. Number 2, a mixture of miracles and physical support were used. Since the disciples always seemed surprised by the miraculous provision of food and money, it is unlikely that such miracles were a daily occurrence. Direct support from others was the most likely. Three, gifts of food and shelter were always accepted by our Messiah. Apparently, women were the primary givers of these gifts, quite possibly because men were used to, used to giving, quite possibly because, let me go over this again. Number three, gifts of food and shelter were always accepted by our Messiah. Apparently, women were the primary givers of these gifts, which is, Interesting in itself, quite possibly because men were used men were used to giving their offerings at the temple, which is found in Deuteronomy sixteen verse sixteen. In the case of Zacchaeus, our Savior asked to stay at the house of a man who did not know him, but it is obvious that Zacchaeus could easily afford it, and he was willing to serve because he was rich. Number four, money was a minor part of their operation. Let me underscore this: <laughs> money was a minor part of their operation. There are no references at all to our Savior asking for or accepting money. Now, that's pretty interesting, ladies and gentlemen. Let me underscore that or emphasize that. There are no references at all to our Savior asking for or accepting money. Judas apparently carried the money for the entire group to common purse. There were times when they bought food or gave money to the poor. That's what it was used for, for their basic necessities, food and clothes, as Paul stated in 1 Timothy chapter 6. Number five, financial corruption occurred even in our Savior's men, and that's the sad thing is here we are, we have someone, a perfect minister, and it was corruption even in his ministry. It says if Judas took some of the money for himself, does that make it acceptable to today's ministers to secretly take money for themselves? No. The Bible says of Judas, it would have been good for that man if he had never been born. That's in Mark 14, verse 21. However, we must realize that if the Messiah did not stop the misuse of funds by Judas in his own ministry, he may not stop it in his ministries today. A minister or a ministry can bear fruit even though some people in it are corrupt. So, you know, and, and, and the apostles followed this example. And I don't have time to go through every uh, scripture that... Uh, Actually, I do. Let me go over some of the scriptures here uh, that gives an example of the poverty or the fact that the apostles weren't rich either. Acts 3, verse 6. Then Peter said, Silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise and walk. That's in Acts 3, verse 6. And then 2 Corinthians 4, verse 11, which I'll quote again later on in this program if I get to it. Said to the present hour we both hunger and thirst and we are poorly clothed and beaten and homeless, and that's that's an example of, of um, the apostles, uh, their, their status back then. And Second Corinthians eleven verse twenty-seven, Paul had been in weariness and toil and sleepiness, sleepness, 
sleeplessness often and hunger and thirst and fastings often and cold and nakedness. And then 1 Timothy 6 verse 5 says, Ramans and men of corrupt minds and dust to the truth who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. And then I think in some translations it states that that's, this godliness uh, is religion. Let me see, 1 Timothy chapter 6, starting in verse 5. Piety, yes. Godly, you know, piety toward God, devotion, religion. That's what it's talking about. Yeah, complete Jewish Bible version has, it says, Now true religion does bring great riches, but only to those who are content with what they have. Okay. And then, of course, uh, Yochanan, or Yochanan, states this. So John the Baptist, he, uh, this is in Luke 3, verse 11, he answered and said to them, He who has two tunics, let him give to him who has none, and he who has food, let him do likewise. That's in Luke Chapter 3, verse 11. All right? So let's get one thing straight, ladies and gentlemen. The purpose of a ministry is is to not get rich and, and to and to have all kinds of rich things. And unfortunately, in this country, a lot of ministries are guilty of that, unfortunately. All right, so this leads into what I'm going to talk about here. Tour teachers or ministers should not seek to get rich and should work a secular job. Or operate a business. Now, before you think I don't know what I'm talking about, please hear me out. I'm going to use scriptures to back up the fact that a minister should be working a regular job. Yeshua and the apostles did not get rich serving their students and leadership toward teachers and ministers. As a matter of biblical fact, and this is biblical fact, and also historical fact, many of them worked secular jobs while preaching. So I'm going to start quoting these scriptures here, and please hear me out if you truly want to believe what the Bible states. Yeshua became poor for the gospel. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus in 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that through though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor. And in that context, ladies and gentlemen, it means poor. It doesn't mean he was poor in spirit. He was poor physically. And what I mean by poor, he was not rich. He did not have great possessions. He only had what he needed. That's poor when you compare that to someone who's rich that ye through his poverty might be rich. And then I quoted this before, I'll quote it again. First Timothy 6, verses 6 to 8, in complete Jewish Bible version. Now, true religion does bring great riches, but only to those who are content with what they have. For we have brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. So if we have food and clothing, we will be satisfied with these. And that's, again... <laughs> If you're not satisfied, any ministers or those who claim to be ministers of God, if you're not satisfied with just food and clothing, then you're sinning. Uh, most true ministers or servants of Elohim or God are not rich. And I'm going to quote you some examples here. Second uh, Corinthians chapter 6, verse 4 to 10. But in all things, approving ourselves as the ministers of God. So this is the characteristics of ministers of God. And much patience and afflictions and necessities. Uh, ministers of God, and believe me, I can vouch for this, uh, we do have necessities and distresses and stripes and imprisonments, and I, mean, I haven't been thrown in prison yet, and torments and labors, yes, we work, and we work hard, and watchings and fastings by pureness, by knowledge, by long-suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Spirit, by love unfeigned, by the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left, by honor and dishonor, by evil report and good report, as deceivers and yet true. 
many people lie about me. And some people don't. As unknown and yet well known. I'm, I'm, I'm unknown. Not a lot of people in the world doesn't know me, but I'm known by people who do know me. As dying and behold, we live. As chastised and not killed. As sorrowful yet always rejoicing. As poor, like Yeshua, yet making many rich. And not making people rich, uh, physically. As having nothing. I don't have nothing. I don't own anything. The only thing I own, I guess, is a car that's worth probably under a thousand dollars. And yet possessing all things. The above description of a minister and, and computers, that's not really worth anything either. And the clothes that I have was not really worth anything. Anyway, the above description of a minister or servant of Elohim or God is one that has needs, works, is poor, does not have great worldly possessions. You know that most ministers or rabbis in the United States uh, do not fit this description of a minister of Elohim. Now, the following scriptures that I'm going to quote you prove that Paul and the other apostles worked while they, while they preached. And also, I'm going to quote you some, some information from, from uh, a book called uh, The Sketches of Jewish Social Life by Alfred Edersham, who was, who was a Messianic Jew, a Jew that believes, that, or, or believed, because he's dead now, that Yeshua was the Messiah. All right, so, in Acts 20, verse 33 to 34, I have coveted no man's silver or gold or, or apparel or money. Yes, you yourselves know that these hands have ministered unto my necessities and to them that were with me. So, Paul worked, ladies and gentlemen. Acts 18, verse 3 proves that. And uh, let me read verse 2 so you can get the context of this here. Where he met it, okay, actually, verse 1, Acts 18, verse 1. After this, Shual, or Paul, left Athens and went to Corinth, where he met a Jewish man named Aquila, originally from Pontus, but having recently come with his wife Priscilla from Italy, because Claudius had issued a decree expelling all the Jews from Rome, Shual, or Paul, went to go see them. And because he had the same trade as they, Making tents, he stayed on with them, and they worked together. So Paul regularly worked, ladies and gentlemen. Why are ministers not doing that today? Because they have a, a faulty and deceived concept of what a ministry is. That's why. Second uh, Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 7 to 10. For yourselves know how you ought to follow us. Here we go. Follow us. For we behave... Not ourselves disorderly among you. Neither did we eat any man's bread for, for naught. But wrought with labor and travail night and day that we might not be chargeable to any of you. A minister should not just sit there and say, hey, give to me because I'm a servant of God. I mean, it, it shouldn't be like that. It shouldn't be like that. I know there's some scriptures that we should live by the gospel, but not in that way. Just sitting there and not willing to work. I mean, you're hypocrites, basically, if you're teaching people that you should keep the Sabbath day, six days a week, and work, and you don't work yourself. I mean, that, that's hypocrisy. You have to be an example, and that's what Paul and Yeshua, who was a carpenter, as I'm going to show you, did. They were an example. And they actually worked while they were preaching. All right. Neither did we eat any man's bread for naught, but wrought with labor and travail night and day, that we might not be chargeable to any of you. 
I don't want to be chargeable to anyone. I'm working hard during the week. I, I have no intentions on depending on anyone to give me anything, period. It's only when I'm going through distresses or problems that, yes, I would like to say, hey, could you give me some money to buy some food? Or I don't have no clothes. Can you uh, give me some money to buy some clothes? But God has taken care of those things for me. I have clothes. I was able to get some clothes uh, three or four weeks ago. So I thank God I haven't had to, on a consistent basis, ask anybody, any of my listeners, or anyone that knows me, for the basic necessities, food or clothes. I had the desire, as you'll see Paul did, and obviously as Christ did, to offer teachings for free. You should not be in a ministry to make money off of people. That's not the, that's not the reason why you serve people of God, ladies and gentlemen. And that is the truth. So help me God. It says, not because we, we don't have the power, but to make ourselves an example unto you to follow us. And that means, of course, that the Bible does teach you should help the ministers. And when, when, when you understand what the temple sacrifices is all about, the people gave food to the ministers to eat, but they didn't give them money to pay their rent. Or, or I mean, Even the rabbis, as you'll see, the rabbis worked. They had a secular job along with their job of preaching. So anyway, for even when we were with you, we, this we commanded you that if any would not work, neither should he eat. Now, if a minister is telling you to go work, and they're not working themselves, and, and just laying around just, studying all day and, and, and answering people's questions. That's not the kind of work that God wants anyone to do. He wants you to do some work where you're going to get paid for it, a trade. And that's what they did back then. And that's what ministers, every minister should be doing today unless they can't work, of course, because of some handicap. Ephesians 4, verse 28. Ephesians 4, verse 28. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good. Or they should have a business. If they have a business... That minister hasn't been. He's working still. Or she's, uh, he's working. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good. All right, so the reason why I am uh, emphasizing that, because it's talking about manual labor, hard work. Now, you could be writing a market research report, and that's hard work, okay? But it has to be hard work, and that's what this versus stressing here. Let him labor, working with his hands, the thing which is good, that he may have to give to him that needs. And that's what part of a ministry should be as well, is helping those who uh, are having problems. All right. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 9 to 13. For I think that God has set forth us the apostles last. So we're talking about the apostles, not just Paul, but the other apostles as well. Okay? As it were appointed to death, for we are made a spectacle unto the world. So, the apostles were made a spectacle unto the world, ladies and gentlemen, and to angels, and to men. And Paul considered apostles, himself included, were fools for Christ's sake. But you are wise in Christ. And see, he's talk, talking sarcastically because these folks were obviously not respecting the apostles like they should. So he's, he's saying, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are honorable, but we are despised. Even to this present hour, we both hunger and thirst, talking about the apostles, and are naked and buffeted and have no certain dwelling place. So apostles and ministers of God really 
<laughs> they can get to a point where they don't have no certain dwelling place. And labor, working with our hands. Again, Ephesians 4, verse 28, working with their hands, laboring. That's what they did. All the apostles did that. Being reviled, we bless. Being persecuted, we suffer it. Being defamed, we entreat. We are made as the filth of the world and are the offscoring of all things unto this day. So that scripture, 1 Corinthians 4, verses 9 to 13, proves that the apostles worked secular jobs along with preaching. The concept of apostles and, 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 and other ministers in the Bible not working is nowhere found in the Bible, ladies and gentlemen. Nowhere. Um, Paul, okay, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, Paul commanded us that we follow his example because he followed Yeshua's example. And this is uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. Let me make sure I have enough time here. I think I do. 52 minutes, okay. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. It says, Be ye followers of me, even as I am also of Christ. So, obviously, Christ must have worked too. Because Paul said that he followed Yeshua's example. I know this may come as a bombshell to a lot of people, but you'll be surprised what you find when you just study the Bible and see the things that are in the Bible, ladies and gentlemen. I challenge each and every one of you to do that. Second uh, Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 9. Not because we have not the power, but to make ourselves an example unto you to follow us. And then in verse 10, For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. So that's the reason why they work. They didn't want to hypocrite themselves. Here they are teaching people to work, and they're not working themselves. Now, as I've stated before a few times in this Bible study, in addition to being a Torah teacher, Yeshua's secular occupation was a carpenter. Secular meaning outside of religion. And in Mark 6, verse 2 to 3, let's turn there. It's a significant scripture here. Now let's analyze this. Mark chapter 6, starting in verse uh, 2 to 3. Actually, it's starting uh, to get the full context. Mark 6, verse 1, in the complete Jewish Bible version, for clarity's sake. Then Yeshua left and went to his hometown, and his Talmudim, well, I'll quote this in the King James, and when he went out from hence and came into his own country, and his disciples, Talmudim means uh, in uh, English, disciples, Talmudim, Talmudim, And his disciples followed him, in verse 2, And when the Shabbat, or Sabbath day, was come, he began to teach in the synagogue. So that's what he did on a regular basis. He taught in the Jewish synagogues. And many hearing him were astonished, saying, From whence has this man these things? And what wisdom is this which is given unto him, that such mighty works are wrought by his hands? And notice this, verse 3, Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and Judah and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? And they were offended at him. So, you know, this is interesting, ladies and gentlemen. We've got to analyze this, okay? Here he is preaching. And they identified him with being a carpenter. Now, obviously, he must have still been a carpenter. He must have still, his occupation was a carpenter, and he must have still, he, he was doing some carpentry back then. I don't know how often, uh, 
But obviously, he was still considered a carpenter, and yet here he is preaching on the, on the, on the Sabbath. Okay, and they called him a carpenter in the context of him, or around the context of him teaching. Again, obviously, he was still identified as a carpenter while he was preaching. Now, there is no scriptural evidence, no scriptural evidence at all, that Yeshua or Jesus immediately stopped being a carpenter when he began his ministry, but this is assumed by Christendom today, that Jesus just didn't work. And I tell you, I, I, I do not believe that. I do not believe he taught people to keep the Shabbat and he didn't work himself, because part of the, the Sabbath commandment, let's go there, Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20 states, and verse uh, 8, it says, Remember the Sabbath day, which is a prophecy <laughs> that, that tells us that people will forget. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Verse 9. Now, here's the first part. Well, actually, the first part of the Sabbath commandment is to remember it, and then number 9 is to work. Verse 9, six days shall you labor and do all thy work. Verse 10, but the seventh day is the Shabbat of the Lord, the Sabbath. In it you shall not do any work, nor thou, nor thy son, nor thy daughter, thy manservant, and thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor thy stranger that's within thy gates. Verse 11, for in six days the Lord made heaven and earth. In other words, God worked. Okay, for in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and sea and all that is in them. And rested the seventh day. Wherefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. So that's the reason why we keep the Sabbath, because God worked six days. So God expects us to work six days. And, of course, he expected his son to work six days a week. And he did. He did. And so that that's something that uh, you need to remember, that uh, God works. And he works six days a week. And he rests on a Shabbat, and he expects everyone else to do that as well, ladies and gentlemen, is to follow his example, as Ephesians 5, verse 1 says, we ought to imitate God. Okay, and, and God works six days a week. We should work six days a week. Christ didn't stop working as a carpenter when he got immersed by John the Baptist. He didn't do that. He continued to do that as he was teaching other people that they should work and keep the Sabbath and all the other commandments. All right, and that and that is the truth, and that's something that God has uh, opened my mind to recently about that, and I hope He's opening your mind uh, to that fact as well. So, coming back to now, Jewish tradition teaches that a rabbi should have a secular trade and work. This Jewish tradition is in harmony with the scriptures. Now, let's, uh, this book that I told you about earlier, uh, The Sketches of Jewish Social Life at Alfred Edersham, on page 175, states this. There is the study of the law if accompanied by worldly occupation. And this is in line with the scriptures. And that's the reason why I'm, I'm uh, quoting it, because it helps us understand the scriptures, because it agrees with what the scriptures are indicating. Anyway. The Sketches of Jewish Social Life by Alfred Edersham, page 175. There is a study of the law if accompanied, if accompanied by worldly occupation. To engage in them both is to keep away from sin. 
So you should have a balance. A true Torah teacher and minister of God should study the Bible, but also it should be accompanied by worldly occupation. It says to engage in them both is to keep away from sin, while study, which is not combined with work, must in the end be interrupted and only bring sin with it. Also, Edersham, page 174, the great Hillel was a woodcutter. His rival, Shemaiah, a carpenter. And among the celebrated rabbis of after times, we find shoemakers, tailors, carpenters, sandal makers. Interesting that some of them were carpenters. So obviously Yeshua followed some of their example. Uh, smiths, potters, builders, etc. In short, every variety of trade. Nor were they ashamed of their manual labor like many people are today. It's like ministers are ashamed of, they misinterpret that oh, we should not make tables uh, in regards to helping widows. Like, oh, that, that means that they don't do any secular work. No, they were saying that they're the work of the ministry, they didn't need to do that when they had other people to, to help out with helping the widows. Not to say that they wouldn't help the widows. It's just that it shouldn't be all left to them when they had other people to help out. But they still worked, as I proved to you. All right, page 173 of Edersham. For in point of fact, with few exceptions, a few exceptions, all the leading rabbinical authorities were working at some trade. That's in Edersham, page 173 of Sketches of Jewish Social Life. So, during the first century, rabbis worked, ladies and gentlemen, along with preaching. Yeshua did the same thing, and so did the, his disciples and apostles. And that is the truth of scriptures, is the proof of secular history, Jewish history. All right. And then God works. He works six days a week. And I'm trying to find a scripture where uh, it shows you exactly specifically what kind of work he does. Let's see. Hopefully I'll find it here. If not, then I'll quote it next week. Should have that memorized. I think it's in Psalms somewhere. Psalms. Let's see. But anyway, similar to what the disciple commandment, that's the kind of work that God does. He creates. Okay, and, and like I said, I'm trying to find this specific scripture that goes into detail about what he does here. Uh, let's see. I think I can find it on my website here. Just give me a couple of minutes here. I'll be able to find it. There's so many scriptures to quote to get the full picture of any particular topic that you're talking about. Let's see. Uh, see, I didn't know I was going to talk about this. And I hate when I get sidetracked like that, but it happens. 
see. Let me see if I can look at this other one here. If I can't find it here in a few more minutes, then we'll just talk about it some other time. Okay. There we go. Thank Yahweh, Elohim, hallelujah, praise the Lord, we found it. So Psalm 146, by the way, Yahweh is uh, what many people think is a correct way to pronounce uh, God or Elohim's real name. Uh, Psalm 146, Psalm 146, Psalm 146, starting in verse 5 says, Happy is he who has the God of Jacob for his help, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, who keeps truth forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord gives freedom to the prisoners. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord raises those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the strangers. He relieves the fatherless and widows. So that gives you a picture of what God does in addition to creating. And he continues to create and continues to plan to do things for us. That's what he does uh, during the week. However, uh, he expects men on the earth to do labor work. Um, the kind of work that God does in heaven is a trade. His trade is, is creating, guiding, leading, planning, helping. And that's and he expects us on the earth to, to uh, do labor so that we can support our families and ourselves. Okay, so I'm glad I was able to find that, that scripture. Okay. And I have 39 minutes left here. Now, making merchandise and ministry do not match, ladies and gentlemen. Second uh, Peter chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. This is a prophecy. But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many shall follow their perniculous ways, pernicious ways, by reason of whom, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. And through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you, whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. This is in Second Peter chapter two verses one to three. All right, so Yeshua stated you can't serve Elohim or God and money. That's a, this is found in Matthew six verse twenty four. And mammon that should be translated money. Matthew chapter six. Verse 24. It says, No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Alright? So it's impossible to do that. It's impossible to do that, to serve God and money. And unfortunately, that's what church is in this country today. It's a combination of capitalism 
and God, and it doesn't it doesn't <laughs> it doesn't mix, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Elohim does not desire his people to be turned into merchandise. The Greek word for merchandise in this particular passage of scripture means to buy and sell, to trade, and in this context, it could mean to to sell. Additionally, Yeshua stated not to mix commerce, trade, and merchandise in his father's physical temple in Jerusalem. This is found in John 2, verse 16. John 2, verse 16 states this. It says, And he said unto them, as so does, Take these things hence. Make not my father's house a house of merchandise. Here we go again with that word merchandise. However, Elohim's people is also considered his temple, and Elohim does not desire his people to be made into merchandise or trade. And this is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 to prove that God's people also can be spiritually considered the temple of God because God desires to dwell in his people and he doesn't want his people to be sold to and made of merchandise. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16 to 17. Know you not that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If any man defile the temple of God... Him shall God destroy, for the temple of God is holy, which you are. Okay? Now, the 501c3 IRS program encourages ministers to turn their students into merchandise, trade, gain, or profit for the minister. Even though it states non-for-profit, why, why do we see a lot of ministers today profiting off the people? They're not content with just food and clothes. Now, how do ministers turn their students into trade, gain, or merchandise? Ministers gain from their students by selling their teachings. That's how they gain. Elohim is against ministers doing this. Elohim meaning God. Here is the scriptural proof. Let's turn to at Jude 1, verse 11. First turn to Jude 1, verse 11. How much time I have left here? 35 minutes. Plenty of time. Jude 1, verse 11. Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain, and this is what I want to focus on, and ran greedily after the heir of Balaam for reward. And if you understand the story of Balaam, he wanted to prophesy for money. And many do that today in this country, unfortunately. And that word reward in the original Greek means profit. Second Peter. Second Peter. Second Peter chapter two, starting in verse fifteen, states, "Which have forsaken the right way and are gone astray, found the way of Balaam, the son of Beshur, who loved the wages of unrighteousness." Verse sixteen, but was rebuked for his iniquity, and that was iniquity to to desire people to pay you to preach or to prophesy. And he was rebuked for his iniquity. The dumb ass, speaking with man's voice, forbade the madness of the prophet. God states that people are mad. People that want money for prophecy are on the verge of insanity. That's what he states here. Micah chapter 3. Micah chapter 3. Verse 11. It's a powerful scripture against uh, any minister's preaching for profit. 
Micah chapter 3, verse 11, the heads there of judge for reward, there we go, for reward again, for riches, for profit, and the priests, and the priests, there of teach for hire. So we know what that word means, ladies and gentlemen. And the prophets thereof divine for money. Yet will they lean upon the Lord and say, Is not the Lord among us? None evil can come upon us. So God is saying, You actually think that I'm going to be with you when you, you're out here uh, charging for literature? Charging for literature? That's not uh, something that, that God approves of. And this word reward means a bribe. The heads therefore judge for, for a bribe. And the priests thereof teach for hire, for pay. And the prophets, therefore, divine for money. God does not want any minister to teach for pay and to divine for money. And most ministries in this country and churches are guilty of that. Yes, they are. Even even among Judaism, me and my wife uh, just got to taking a course about the foundation of Judaism, and they were charging for that. You know, so it's just a, something that's really prevalent here in this country for sure people look at ministry as a way to make a lot of money and it's not and I see I know that some ministers are not aware of this quite a few yet some ministers know about this and they are only preaching to, to make a lot of money from their students and I feel the majority of are just doing it because they're just following someone else not realizing that it's wrong now, Elohim desires for those to buy the truth and sell it not. And this is in Proverbs 23, verse 23. Of course, the scripture reveals that Elohim knew. <laughs> he knew that some ministers or Torah teachers would sell the truth. And this is uh, in Proverbs 23, verse 23. Let's read it. Proverbs 23, verse 23. states this, buy the truth or obtain the truth and sell it not. Also wisdom and instruction and understanding. Now, again, Elohim desires for ministers to be supported by their students. Torah teachers need the following, food and clothes. Paul stated that if a Torah teacher has the above things or, or the things I just mentioned to you, food and clothes, then he should be satisfied. First Timothy 6, verse 8, and if you're not, you're sinning. Now, in the Apocrypha book of Sirach, the only reason why I quote this is because it supports this scripture here in 1 Timothy 6, verse 8. It says, The basic necessities of human life are water and fire, iron and salt, wheat flour and milk and honey, the blood of the grape and oil and clothing. All these are good for the godly, but for sinners they turn into evil. So, folks, if you have food, which let's go into detail about food, water and water, Salt, wheat flour, milk and honey, the blood of the grape, oil. If you have those things, then God states that you have what you need to survive. And that's <laughs> food and clothes. All right? And it's interesting. Meat is not mentioned here. And then clothing. All these are good for the godly, but for sinners they turn into evils. And this is in Sirach chapter 39, verse 26 to 27. The Apocrypha is, is what I call a commentary of the, of the Bible 
a lot of what is in the Apocrypha is, is, is good wisdom. It's written by a Jew, but uh, I still analyze it with the scriptures, and if it if it doesn't take away from the meaning of the scriptures, I use it to help us better understand the scriptures. Now, students of Torah teachers should not, should make sure, rather, students of Torah teachers should make sure that teachers have food and clothes. As Paul taught, tithes and offerings should be used to support Torah teachers. Let's turn to that because uh, we really need to understand that, that scripture. 1 Corinthians. Chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. Am I not an apostle? Am I not free? Have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord and not yet my work in the Lord? If I be not an apostle unto others, yet doubtless I am to you, for the seal of my apostleship are ye in the Lord. Verse 3. My answer to them that do examine me is this. Have we not power to eat and drink? Have we not power to lead about a sister, a wife, as well as other apostles, and as a brethren of the Lord and Cephas, or Peter? Verse 6. Or I only and Barnabas have not we the power to forbear working? So let's take a look at that in a better translation in the complete Jewish Bible version. Or are Barnaba and I the only ones required to go on working for our living? Are they the only ones required to go on working for our living? Verse 7, did you ever hear of a soldier paying his own expenses or a farmer planting a vineyard without eating his grapes, who shepherds a flock without drinking some of the milk? What I am saying is not based merely on human authority because the Torah says the same thing. This is in the complete Jewish Bible version, Torah meaning the law of God. It really should be translated Torah, which means teachings of God. Verse 9, for the, in the Torah of Moshe, or Moses, it is written, you are not to put a muzzle on an ox when it is dreading out the grain. If God is concerned about cattle, all the more does he say this for our sakes. Yes, it was written for us, meaning that he who plows and he who threshes should work, expecting to get a share of the crop. Verse 11, and it's talking about food again. If we have sown spiritual seed among you, is it too much if we reap a material harvest from you? Verse 12, if others are sharing in this right to be supported by you, don't we have a greater claim to it? But we don't make use of this right. Rather, we put up with all kinds of things so as not to impede in any way the good news about the Messiah. And that's my attitude as well. Verse 13. Don't you know that those who work in the temple get their food, here we go again, food from the temple, and those who serve at the altar get a share of the sacrifices offered there? All right. So, again, the, the emphasis, ladies and gentlemen, is not money to, to pay rent and and to uh, get other things that don't have anything to do with food and clothes. And that's the basic necessities, again. And so I stated at the opening program, again, I'll accept food and clothes, but I have food and I have clothes, so I don't need those things. So I'm working... My secular job, like Yeshua did as a carpenter, and as Paul did as a tent maker, and I don't—I think some of the other apostles' occupations were—I know Peter, he was a fisher, fisherman, and he and he went out and and, and he fished. So that is my uh, official ruling on accepting contributions from 
individuals, uh, food and clothes, and really only when I need it. Right now, I don't need it, so I'm not going to be asking anybody for that. And whatever I teach is going to always be free. And I challenge any minister or Torah teacher, if you are truly concerned about people knowing the truth, that is, if you are preaching the truth, then I suggest you offer your teachings for free. Elohim desires Torah teachers to do this. And 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 18 and 19 states this, and I'm going to read this in complete Jewish Bible version. It states, So then, what is my reward? Just this, and... Let me look up that word here in original Greek. Okay, um, the, this, this word means pay, wages. Then what is my wages? Just this, that in proclaiming the good news, I can make it available free of charge without making use of the rights to which it entitles me. And the reason why he's doing it and the reason why I'm doing it and the reason why other Torah teachers should do this Verse 19, for although I am a free man, not bound to do anyone's bidding, I have made myself a slave or a servant, a servant to all in order to win as many people as possible. That's the reason why. He didn't want to let money get in the way of preaching the gospel. And a lot of ministers do that. When you get under 501c3, you, you don't really have the freedom to preach the way you would like. Because if you preach something the government doesn't like, they'll take away your 501c3 status, and then you won't be able to accept contributions. So it's wise not to even do that, first of all. Second of all, if you really want to preach the truth, don't depend on the people to support you. As Paul. Paul didn't depend on the people. He worked. He worked. Because he didn't want... He didn't want to... Let me give you an example. If you're depending on people to support you, and if you say something they don't like, then they won't support you, right? Well... Paul didn't want that restraint. I didn't want, I don't want it either. So I'm going to preach whatever I want to preach from the Bible. I'm not going to be held back. And that's what 501c3 does. It holds you back. Then also, even if you're not 501c3, if you're depending on people to support you and pay your rent and your bills and all that, uh, and just totally support you, then if, if you say something they don't like, they'll stop supporting you, right? But if you have a job, if they if they don't like what you are telling them and they stop supporting you, it's not going to hurt you. <laughs> so so you know I, I like Paul's way, and Paul said he followed Christ's example, and he, and he suggests that we follow his example, and that's what I'm doing, and that's what other Torah teachers should do: is follow his example and teach the people to give because they want to give, not because they're going to get something back—a tax deduction. That's not what religion is all about, ladies and gentlemen. Sure. A minister should live by the gospel, but how should they live by the gospel? They should live by the gospel by uh, having the people that teach them to provide food and clothes when they need it. When they need it. The temple is not here. Uh, the temple mount, the, the temple in Jerusalem is not available. So we can't give offerings that way, but spiritually. We can give to ministers when we know they need help, when we know that they need food and, and, and clothes. But that's, that's, that's as far as it should go. Uh, any additional money should be given to the poor. should be given to the poor. And there are examples in the Bible where Paul had organized a congregation to give 
uh, an offering. He has people to give, not for himself, but to give to other people. And that's the way it, it should be. We should not forget about the poor. So I have a better understanding of that now, and I hope that you do as well. Now, in Isaiah chapter, how much time I have left here? 21 minutes. Okay, Isaiah chapter 55, verses 1 to 3. God desires his teachings to be free, ladies and gentlemen. It's a big deception going on in the world, and hopefully God is using me to clear it up here. And these last days, the days that he told Daniel where knowledge will be increased, and the truth of God, the true God of the Bible, that knowledge is being increased as I'm speaking. Not just through me, but other scattered Torah teachers worldwide and in the United States are trying to do the same. Isaiah chapter 55, starting in verse 1. Ho, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters, and he that have no money. So if you don't have no money, come ye, buy and eat. Yes, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Verse 2. Wherefore do you spend money for that which is not bread? And many people are doing that today. They're spending money on literature and all kinds of crazy prophetic predictions. And it's not really giving them what they need spiritually. And, and, and your labor for that which satisfies not. Hearken diligently unto me and eat that which is good and let your soul delight itself in fatness. Incline your ear and come unto me here. He's talking about spiritual nourishment here. Incline your ear and come unto me here and your soul shall live and I will make an everlasting covenant with you, even the sure mercies of David. And in Matthew chapter 10 verse 8. Matthew 10, verse 8, states this. It says, Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out the devils or demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Freely give. Romans 8. Romans chapter 8, verse 32. He that spareth not his own son, but deliver him for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? God is going to freely give us all things. And in Revelation chapter 22, verse 17, we should follow his example. Ephesians 5, verse 1 says that. Ephesians 5, verse 1, follow God's example. Revelation chapter 22. Revelation chapter 22, starting in verse 17. Revelation 22, verse 17. It says, And the Spirit and the Bride says, Come, and let him that heareth says, Come, and let him that is a thirst come, and and whosoever will, let him take the water of life, does it say at cost? No, freely, freely. In the last chapter of the Bible, it states the fact that God wants to provide his knowledge for free. Now, in the Jews' book called the Talmud, which is an interpretation of the Bible, some of it makes sense, some of it doesn't. This is a case where it does make sense when they interpret the Bible correctly. It says the Talmud gives the same advice about giving your teachings for free. Uh, Rav Yahuda said in the name of Ra, Scripture says, Behold, I have taught you statutes and judgments in Deuteronomy 4, verse 5. Just as I teach for free, so you should teach for free. That's the way they interpret that Scripture. Just as I teach for free, so you should teach for free. God teaches for free, we should teach for free. Similarly, it has been taught, or similarly, it has been taught, similarly, 
It's been taught. The next words of this verse are, as Adonai, the Lord my God, commanded me. This too implies, just as I teach for free, so you should teach for free. Whence do we deduce that it is, whence do we deduce that if it is impossible to find someone who will teach uh, freely, one must pay to learn. A verse says, buy the truth, and it's in Proverbs 23, verse 23, and sell it not. And whence do we deduce that one who has to pay in order to learn should not say, since I had to pay to learn Torah, I will charge to teach it. From the same text which adds, and do not sell it. This is in Berkorot, Bekorot, B-E-K-O-R-O-T, Bekorot, 29A. And this was taken from the Jewish New Testament commentary by David H. Stern on page 39. Okay. And here's another thing that I want to clarify. I've been in church organizations and my wife and so forth, and we we hear these preachers get up, we want to preach the gospel around the world. You know, and we've heard of that a lot. And let's get real, ladies and gentlemen. I'm going to present some facts to you here. Unless... God gives Torah teachers the ability to do so miraculously. No one Torah teacher's ministry will realistically preach the gospel around the world. We have over almost close to 7 billion people, that's what it would be, in, in, the, in the world right now. All right? Over 2 billion people have never heard of Yeshua, and the 4 billion that have, most have been taught a false image of the Messiah and his teachings. Most of them don't know Jesus' Hebrew name is Yeshua or Yahshua. Most have been taught an incomplete message of the gospel. Yet we should try to reach as many people as possible. Uh, in the future, the Bible predicts that, that two witnesses and an angel will preach the gospel around the world to billions of people. Let's turn to that in Revelation chapter 11. Revelation chapter 11. Starting in verse 9. It says, And they of the people and kindreds and tongues and nations shall see their dead bodies. It's talking about the two witnesses here three days and a half, and shall not allow their dead bodies to be put in graves. Verse 10, And they that dwell upon the earth shall rejoice over them and make merry, and shall send gifts one to another, because these two prophets tormented them that dwelt on the earth. So, obviously, their message the whole world heard, and they were tormented. So, obviously, they're going to get the gospel out to the entire world. And in Revelation chapter 14, starting in verse 6 to 7, and I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, in the middle of the sky, uh, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth, and to every nation and kindred and tongue and people. So, we know, and in verse 7, here, here, here he said, this angel, this great angel, saying with a loud voice, Fear God. How do you fear God? Proverbs 8, verse 13. By hating evil. And give glory to him. For the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of waters. Okay, and for proof of what I just told you, go to the following website to confirm that over 2 billion people have never heard of Jesus. Go to www.joshuaproject.net. That's www.joshuaproject.net. Again, it's www.joshua, J as in Jack, O-S-H-U-A, P as in Paul, R-O-J-E-C-T, period, net, N as in Nancy, E as in Elephant, T as in Tom. And you'll see uh, it's a very good website to show you how many people have actually heard Jesus versus those who have not. Now, let's go over what I have discussed here. All Torah teachers should teach their students 
to help them only with their basic necessities, which is food and clothes. If they want to give more money, then instruct them that that money will be given to the poor. You set up a program just to distribute that money to the poor. It doesn't have to be given to the minister. It can You can just give to the poor on your own. Okay? But if there's, a, if there's a specific program like Paul outlines in the Bible, I think it's in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, if you have a special program that you want to set up in your community to help out the poor, there's nothing wrong with that. But that, it doesn't have to be given to the minister. Uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 1, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given order to the churches of Galatia, even so do, do ye. Upon the first day of the week, that's on a Sunday, let every one of you lay by him in store as God has prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. And see, he wasn't there at the time. He just instructed the other churches to do this. And when I come, whomsoever you shall approve by your letters, them will I send to bring your liberality, liberality unto Jerusalem. And if it be meet that I go also, they shall go with me. So this was a program that God obviously inspired Paul and it's for us today because he said to follow his example. Again, I don't know if a lot of ministries are doing this, but this is what we should be doing on a regular basis. Uh, let me read this in a, in, in a Hebraic version. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 1. Now, in regard to the collection being made for God's people, you are to do the same as I directed the congregations in Galatia to do. Every week um, on, on Sunday, each of you should set some money aside according to his resources, and save it up so that when I come, I won't have to do any fundraising. <laughs> and when I arrive, I will give letters of introduction to the people you have appointed, and I will send them to carry your gift to Jerusalem. See, it didn't go to him or Jerusalem. It went to the people that the other congregations or assemblies approved to distribute the money to the people in Jerusalem. At that time, they were going through a great famine. So they had a special program to give the funds to the people that needed it in Jerusalem. And he said, if it seems appropriate that I go to, they will go along with me. But it was, you know, he was saying, if it seems. So they didn't give the money to him. He just instructed the congregations to save enough money. And then he would instruct, he says, I will visit you. He says, what is he? In verse 3, he says, and when I arrive, I will give letters of introduction to the people you have appointed, you have approved. So each congregation approved people to, dis- to take of the proceeds from the different congregations and to give each of the proceeds of of the representatives of the congregation, the, the representative of the congregations carried the proceeds from each of their uh, congregations and they distributed, they went to Jerusalem and, and, and they called it a gift to give to the people in Jerusalem that were struggling at that time. So that's that's a program that we should do in our, each of our communities. If we do have people that, that we fellowship with, we should do that each and every week and just regularly give that to help God's people and also the poor among the community. That's what we should be doing each and every week. Because Paul stated that we should not forget the poor. If I can find that scripture here. Let's see. I think it's... uh... We should not forget the poor. I'm trying to find that here. Let me just type in the word poor and I'll find that scripture here.
So, you know, I, I just hope that, here we go, Galatians 2, verse 10, only that they would, only they would that we should remember the poor, the same which I also was for to do so. So, you know, it's important for us to remember the people that are suffering and, and don't have what we have, and we should try to help them out as much as possible. That's, that's what a true ministry, a service is all about. It's practicing pure religion. And James 1, verse 27, talks about this James 1 verse 27 it says pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world in other words uh, keeping the commandments of God like Yeshua did and and keeping yourself unspotted from the world and also helping people. That's what ministry, true service to your humankind or human beings is all about. And then Psalm 82, which I quote at the beginning of this program in, in a biblical or Bible audio form. Psalm 82. Psalm 82. Psalm of Asaph, God stands in the congregation of the mighty. He judges among the gods of Elohim. Verse 2, how long will you judge unjustly and accept the persons of the wicked? This is a prophecy because this is still going on today. Selah, think about that. It's a pause. It's a pause. It's a suspension of music because the book of Psalms is, is a book of music, but it's also prophetic music in a lot of cases. Verse 3, defend the poor and the fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and the needy. That's what religion is about. Verse 4, deliver the poor and needy, rid them out of the hand of the wicked. Verse 5, they know not, neither will they understand. They walk on in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are out of course. They, all the foundations of the earth are out of course because people don't care about defending the poor and the fatherless. They don't care about doing justice to the afflicted and needy. They don't care about delivering the poor and the needy. They don't care about ridding them out of the hand of the wicked. And because of this, God is saying that most of us don't, or most that practice this, which is a lot of people, don't know that, don't know what they should know, neither will they understand. And they walk on in darkness because of this, because they don't care about people. And all the foundations of the earth are out of course. And then verse 8, Rise, O God, judge the earth, for thou shalt inherit all nations. And when he judges the earth, and when he inherits the nations, none of these problems will um, be in, in the world to come. Now, if any Torah teachers start to offer their teachings for free and teach the people to correctly tithe their income and give offerings and donations uh, just to take care of a minister's food and clothes needs, then Elohim will bless your ministry with the right type of people to help you manage it. So that 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 is important to understand, ladies and gentlemen, and we have to believe what the Bible teaches us about these things, that a minister should only... Be desiring food and clothes. I gave you examples in the Bible where the emphasis was on food and clothes. And I gave you an example of how Yeshua conducted his ministry. Any extra he gave to the poor. He just We have to understand that our, our life is not about being like the rich fool in, in uh, Luke chapter 12. But it's, our life is about being like Yeshua Messiah, Jesus Christ serving and giving and offering 
God's teachings for free. That's what life is all about, and working. Just like your students work, you should work too. It's being a hypocrite if you're not working, and your students work and you don't work. You just sit there and just get their get their contributions and just lay around and 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 get clothes and don't do any kind of normal work that they're doing. And so that's the, that's the example of the Bible. That is the truth of the Bible. And unfortunately, a lot of ministries are guilty of that today. And and they think that God is with them, and they think they fully understand the prophecies of the Bible, and, and, and they think they're just so right about what they're teaching. And then in the context of this, they're selling their teachings, and they truly care about God's people. They wouldn't be selling anything. They wouldn't be selling anything. So that is the truth. And I have to rebuke and correct ministries, and I'm not giving any names. I can easily give names. But those ministers who want to know the truth about what I'm talking about, they can easily listen to what I'm saying here in this Bible study. So, and in the remaining minutes that I have here, I want to talk about a significant event that is happening in the world right now. Actually, we have, you know, you have the Hurricane Earl, which God had mercy again, like I said. <laughs> God has mercy. But there's three other systems uh, in the Atlantic right now that could be hurricanes as well, so we need to be praying that God continues to have mercy. And whenever, and I've gone over this before, I have an article in the Bible called God and Hurricanes. Please read that on my website because I explain that each and every time the presidential administration right now is the Obama administration. Messes around with Jerusalem. There are curses that happen. And during the time when uh, Obama and Hillary and, and so forth were talking to uh, the Palestinian president and also Netanyahu, the Israeli prime minister, about here we go again trying to get uh, the Jews or Israel to give up their land and, and so forth and totally against what God states in his word for them to do, the, the curses happen. Curses occur. And uh, we need to understand that, and we need to uh, really do some, uh, for those who don't, do some deep Bible study on understanding that. Whoever is against Jerusalem, God is against you. And that's something that the Obama administration doesn't seem to understand. And they discussed September 1st and 2nd trying to finally broker a peace deal. Now, I know this. The Bible indicates that there will be some kind of agreement. Those, a lot of people think that Daniel 9 verse 27 is talking about that agreement. But there's another scripture that talks about a covenant of death. And... That's what this agreement would be. It would be a covenant of death because um, God stated for his people, and particularly in this case the Jews, not to make agreements like that. And in verse 15 it says, uh, Because you have said we have made a covenant with death and with hell are we in agreement. When the overflowing scourge shall pass through, it shall not come unto us. So you can study this in Isaiah chapter 28, but it talks about a covenant that has something to do with catastrophe. And that's what will happen if this agreement 
Well, I know some kind of agreement has to be enforced for the Jews to start building the temple. So that's why we need to keep an eye on what's going on. There's some other things that I've been studying, but I am reluctant to even bring them out right now because I don't know whether or not these people that are teaching these things are accurate. So we'll know next week <laughs> about some things that I've been studying, whether or not it's true or not. If it is, I'll preach it. But if it's not, I'll forget about it and, and continue to uh, focus on what Yeshua stated in his word. So anyway, ladies and gentlemen, may you have a blessed uh, Shabbat, and may God bless and keep you, and I'll speak to you next week. Malachi chapter 4 For behold... The day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings, and ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. And ye shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet in the day that I shall do this, saith the Lord of hosts. Remember ye the law of Moses my servant, which I commanded unto him in Horeb for all Israel, with the statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse.